Thank you, Garrett, and thank you, Spencer, both. Appreciate both of you. Good morning, everyone. Oh, it is so nice to see you all on a holiday weekend. Thanks so much for coming. My name is Carol Hoskins. I am an elder here at Moran Park and blessed to serve you. A um, few announcements. Um, you might have noticed, especially if you're a newcomer, that we don't have like a standard, like a bulletin um, that gives you like announcements and things. And so especially if you are a relative newcomer and you don't know what is going on at Moran Park, I want to encourage you, and I forgot to do a slide, Max, but um, <laughs> I want to encourage you to send an email to Valerie, is it? You guys. We, get, we do like, basically like, you're the best. These guys back here, <laughs> tell you what, thank you. <laughs> um, Valerie at moranpark.org, and she will put you on our email mailing list, and because that's a, a way that we disseminate information. If you do that and you don't get an email, please look in your spam folder, because sometimes it goes there. But that is a way to get information about what's going on. And we probably will reinstitute a bulletin at some point, maybe like a monthly bulletin. But that's a way to get started if you don't get information yet. OK. Um, we have been enjoying Chris and the epic story from creation to new creation so much. But we wanted to give Chris a break this weekend. And so we are conducting a connection and we, this is something that we have done in the past. We did a, like on a regular rotation, and now it's just kind of like on an as-needed, as-desired basis when we think, here's something that we think we could really connect over. We'd like to do it. So this is, a, this is like a Connection Sunday of sorts. And um, Mindy is gonna come, and Mindy, why don't you come? Because I wanna pray with you. Yes, Mindy Beetham, wife of Chris. <laughs> you want it? Yeah. Um, she's a mom of five, um, she's an educator, she's a beloved person in our midst, a servant of the Lord. Uh, she's also one of our supported missionaries, and um, her work is with, um, she's an international coordinator for her mission agency uh, to resource Third Culture Kids, TCK coordinator, is that what your title is? Yeah, so anyway, and what that means is, so Third Culture Kids are the children of these people serving cross-culturally. And some of these people are Americans serving in, you know, Ethiopia, and some of them are Ethiopians serving in Bangladesh. So it's quite a complicated um, situation, you know, for her to resource these children. She does that by resourcing on the field coordinators. So anyway, that's what Mindy does. And so she's always engaging. This, now this is me speaking as her friend. She's always <laughs> engaging with how to support like the health, the shalom, the wholeness of, of um, these children. And she brings that as, to us as well, which is a, a, an amazing gift. So. Um, She's going to share with us some of what she's learned, and in particular, help us to look at our own stories in light of that epic story, to see our 
stories through the lens of that epic story we've been hearing about from Chris. Yeah, it's going to be good, y'all. <laughs> Let me pray. Lord, thank you so much for Mindy, the gift of who she, look, I'm, I'm pulling on her hair back here, <laughs> the gift of who she is, who you're making her to be, and that she offers herself willingly to us just to share um, what you're doing in her life and through her. Lord, I pray that you would speak through Mindy the words that you have for us today. And I just am grateful, Lord, that you see each of us, each of us here in this room, you're so big that you can handle every single, single one of us and you can minister to each of us personally through one of your servants. And today it's Mindy. So we commit her into your care. Grateful, Lord, that we're your children and that you use us. In Jesus' name, amen. That'll work. Can you, did I just turn it off? That one's better. Thanks, Garrett. Wow. Fancy. Juggle, actually. <laughs> Can you actually juggle? Can you actually juggle? Oh, yeah. Yeah, well, there you go. <laughs> Tim DeForest, right there, teaching you to juggle. Thanks to the judge. Uh -huh. Oh, no. Got it. Yeah. Otherwise, I can hold it. Well, good morning, Moran Park. Um, I'm not going <laughs> to Good job, Garrett. Woohoo! Um, I'm actually not going to talk to you at all about missionary kids this morning, but I am now that you've fixed this and now I'm holding it. Hmm. Oh, I feel like I'm going to mess it up again. Okay, there we go. All right. Um, happy Memorial Day. Um, I'm going to just start us off with a story. So that's always a good place to start since... We've been doing story around here. Um, it was Sunday, 25th of March, 1945, and the USS Snook, a submarine manned by 84 servicemen, left Guam to patrol the south coast of China. The Snook had been on eight su successful patrols, and she was faithfully embarking on her ninth. She stayed in contact with her base until the 8th of April. It's 1945. The war ended four weeks later, and one week after the end of World War II, on the 16th of May, she was declared lost. How she was lost was never discovered, and the whereabouts of the USS Snook remains unknown. My grandfather was 15 in the spring of 1945, and among those 84 servicemen was his 19-year-old big brother, Jack. He was one of... Sorry, Chris, I told you I wouldn't cry.
He was one of 12 firemen first class responsible for mechanical engineering watches and repair. My grandfather rarely talked about Jack, but six years after the men of Snook's sacrifice, my grandparents named their only son by the same name. And it was well known that my great-grandmother's crown of braids until her death was in honor of her son's request to not cut it before he came back from the war. A story of service and sacrifice for a beloved country, great loss and great honor to be sure. I want to go now to the beginning of another family story of great loss. But this story did not have great honor to go with it until centuries later. It's the story from this book that Chris has been retelling, and it's at its beginning, our creator king walking in the garden with his image bearers, our first mother and father. In the way of servicemen or ambassadors or vicegerents or heirs, they're given a mission. Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Fish, birds, every living creature have dominion over it. Every plant yielding seed, every tree with seed and its fruit to sustain you. And it was very good. The only thing during this part of the story that wasn't good was doing the job alone. So Genesis 2 circles back to the sixth day, tells that story in more detail. They were together in the garden with the creator, and there you go, Max, there's that first slide. They felt no shame. Story then heads into spectacular treason. The same image bearer that was intended to do the job, not only with Adam, but with the master gardener himself, is met with a question. Did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? But here's where I want to stop. She'd been with the master gardener. And if you've been with him, how can you forget? See, we're placed on the earth for a mission and in it to bring him glory. Chris has said that multiple times. You're created to bring him glory. But Eve's heart forgot, chose to forget. Chose, she forgot who he was. And in forgetting who God was, she lost who she was. It's exactly how sin works. It's definition, the definition of sin is to miss the mark. So if you know about archery, you know that if you turn your head when you're trying to shoot a bow, you miss the mark. That's what sin does. So it wasn't really about the sin. It was about where her head was. It wasn't on him. So the story goes on to show how the mission will not happen anymore in a good way. Verse 16 talks about pain and childbearing. So to be fruitful and multiply was suddenly going to be incredibly difficult. Her desire would now be for her husband, and she would be ruled by him. Or, and she wanted, yeah, anyway, whatever she wanted to do. And rather than the original mission, which was to rule over the earth, Adam would no longer trust her voice because out of the mouth comes the heart. And her voice had shown untrustworthy. 
He himself had proved untrustworthy. The ground would no longer produce willingly. The work would be painful, and the end of it would be death. The one who created them knew that they were not created to do it without him, without abiding in him and his life-giving word. And the whole mission was thwarted, frustrated, impeded, foiled. It's a story of great loss and great shame. But here's where I want to stop. This word shame, it's not a word that you see all the time in the word, but it is pervasive. And I want to stop on it because I think it's not something we always talk about. So we'd like to skip right over this story about shame, right? Like how it enters in, how there wasn't shame, and then suddenly there is shame. Um, and this story does, this story actually explains, like, old creation, new creation, Paul talks about a lot in his words, or when he's talking. So this slide, I don't know if you remember, several months ago, I did a whole thing about emotions, and shame is actually one of the emotions that God has given us to, like, to do life. So, like every other emotion, it's not a bad or a good emotion, it's an emotion, but when it's not, when it's addressed or when it's not addressed, certain things happen. So, I took off a little piece of this slide, but um, what I wanted us to do is to look at what its actual task is and what it's signaling. So the signal that shame does, it's like you're disgusted with something. So shame makes you move away from something. It, it, uh, we'll talk a little bit more about what it does, but it, it signals you should move away from that. So think about that in the Garden of Eden. Like, they felt no shame. They were close to God. They were close to each other. Suddenly, shame makes it so they can't be close together. It signaled that they should move away from each other. And then, the t and it's a threat to our identity. So I'll talk about that in just a sec. But the task is to strengthen our and others' identity as image bearers. Okay? So... I'm going to go back to Genesis 3 just for a sec. They felt shame now, so they covered up, they hid, they blamed, they knew, knew, knew that there was now something terribly wrong. And to complete the story, they're exiled from the garden, which is the very definition of moving away, right? Dwelling with God in such a way was over, and dwelling with each other would remain fraught with disconnection. The exact things that tell us shame is at play. So how could it ever be good? again. What I want to clarify here is that shame is not the same as guilt. Guilt is about something you do. Shame, when I feel shame about myself, ashamed is like guilt, but if I feel shame about myself, it's about who I am. So it's different. It says, guilt says, I lied, and so then I can say, I'm sorry, and I can repent, and I can seek the Lord's faith to do better, Shame is different than that. Shame, it says, I'm a liar and a perpetual liar. That's a, there's a difference. It's like an identity versus a thing you do. Does that make sense? Okay. Great. So, very importantly, shame is about identity. So knowing your creator and that you bear his image profoundly affects how you live your life. 
Forgetting and the shame that ensues carries a certain look, it behaves in certain ways, alerting us actually to enemy territory. That's what was happening in that story. It was enemy, it, the enemy had entered. And if I had to say one thing about Eve that day in the garden talking to the serpent, it would be that she forgot whose she was. And she forgot who she was. So shame's a signal that we're being attacked at who am I? If we believe the story of scripture, all of our true identity is found in God because we bear his image. So if you want to bring him glory, if you want to fight shame, which is the opposite of glory, if you want to look like a new creation, here's where we start. We start with him. Who is he? So think about that for a second. Or tell me, Moran Park, who is he? He's your daddy. Who else is he? He's good. He's the resurrection and the life. Who is he? He's the redeemer. Provider. Shepherd. Ever-present help. That's who I'm talking about. That's who she was with in the garden. That's who they were both with in the garden. So you bear his image. You reflect him. You're not him. That's the point. I'm not him. I just get to reflect him. So think also for a second, and you don't have to say this out loud. Who do you say you are? Who do you say you are? I hope you say a lot of truth when you say who you are. The effect of unaddressed shame is distance and separation from God and from others. This is a direct hit, to use military terms, on the command to love God and love your neighbor. If you're separated, if you're living out of a shameful identity, it's a direct hit on loving God and loving your neighbor. So it bears taking some time to understand how shame works. So we're going to explore for a little bit further what it looks like. And now I'm going to step away from my notes because I think I got this. Okay, Max, what's the next slide? So when it's unaddressed, I just want us to be able to recognize it because when we recognize it in our family, when you start to see these things and you say, oh, that's actually about an identity question. That's not I should judge someone or I should shame them or I should move away from them because I'm seeing this. There's something we can do, and we're going to work on that. Jeff's going to walk us through what we, one way, a really good way that we can walk through um, co combating shame. But here it is. So shame unaddressed, like I said, all emotions are neither good nor bad. They either lead us to do a thing that's toward the Lord or away from the Lord. So in this case, with shame, if it's unaddressed, it creates relational disintegration. It breaks us apart. We avoid being close to people. We blame other people. We live in isolation or we self-preserve. We have false humility, pride, 
a lack of curiosity because actually all disciples should have healthy curiosity. We dismiss each other. We are self-critics. We are perfectionists. We have trouble calming down. We gossip about other people, and we also can manipulate other people. But that's not where he would have us stay, of course. That's not at all where he would have us stay. So the next slide. is what happens when shame is addressed. So instead of relational disintegration, if I know that he is God and I am his, if I know that, I have close relationships. I'm not afraid of people. I don't have to prove myself to other people. If I address blame, I'm like owning my own things in a relationship. I, I can apologize for things because my actual value isn't in what I did or didn't do. My actual value is within him. And so it, it settles me somehow. It gives me this like courage to go to someone and say, hey, I'm actually really sorry for what I just did. And just own it rather than blame somebody else. Oh, I didn't, you know. That really wasn't about me or whatever. We, we all do this. We all do these things. I do these things, everyone. We all do it. So there's just always ways. So isolation. But instead of isolation and self-preserving, we come into community boldly and bravely. We come into community with each other. We don't have false humility. We know who we are, and we know that we aren't perfect. We have true humility. We don't have pride. Instead, we are vulnerable with each other. We trust each other. We're forgiven. Like, if we have anything in common in this room, we're forgiven and redeemed. And then, instead of a lack of curiosity, we're curious learners. We like to ask questions. We like to learn new things. It's so fun, actually. We don't dismiss each other. We, we share hospitality with each other. We don't criticize ourselves. We have self-awareness but we honor our creator. We're not perfectionists. We, we walk in grace, actually. We don't have trouble calming down, or sometimes we do have trouble calming down, but we meet that with God's peace. We just go to him. We don't gossip about people. We, if you've got a problem with someone, Matthew 18 is like a little rule book about what to do about that. Just go right straight to that person. In Christian community, it's really beautiful when this actually works, um, and it does work. Instead of manipulating other people, we work in unity. And that doesn't always mean we agree, actually. We just keep working, and we do it in unity. So those are the things that I just really wanted to have us start to recognize about shame. Um, it's a really effective, um, effective way within a church to, um, yeah, I mean, what if we don't know who he is and who we are? then, yeah, it just it takes it all apart. So, since the enemy has used shame since Adam and Eve, we do well to understand how it works. We must know that Jesus' work on the cross removed our shame, gave us a new creation identity redeemed. Very interestingly, the way to root out shame is to retell stories. So Jesus began a new ending with our story. So the old story had a new ending because he sacrificially and willingly went to the cross. He knew how far our hearts were turned away from him. 
and he loved us. Reconnecting us to the Father brought us close. So that's the end of what I want to say this morning about shame. Um, and then Jeff Confara, yeah, that's next. I'm ready. You want this here? here? Where do you want? Thank you, Mindy. Talking about shame is, is not, not easy, but well done. Hey, so my name's Jeff, and I'm a, I'm a counselor. It's my full-time job. Uh, uh, he, I'm part of the connection team that puts together this Sunday, so that's, that's why I am up here. What we're trying to do is we're trying to take this, this uh, theology, this, this story of the Bible of creation, fall, make sure I get this right up here, uh, Israel, Jesus, church, new creation, right? We're trying to take that, and that's... Uh, like, like many of you probably, th this teaching has been so, has so much depth. It's so robust. It's been, it's been so impactful for me and, and my family and our house church that we walk through. But what we're trying to do is we're trying to say, instead of making this simply an academic exercise of, of really good teaching, how do we apply it to our individual lives? And so we have an opportunity to do that today. Can we put the, the next slide up there? We are going to uh, split into groups. We're going to have groups of four, and you're going to start to share your own story. So part of the way that we uh, combat shame, welcome in God, uh, is, is by sharing our story. And as Mindy was saying, sometimes when we share our story, there's incredible, uh, we share some really, really hard stuff. So as a counselor behind closed doors, I get to hear a lot of that really, really hard stuff. In this context, we're not going to make everybody share a really, really hard thing, right? This is, a, this is an introductory exercise into what it's like to share in, uh, in the context of other people. So we are going, you are, we're going to, uh, those are rough uh, estimates of different generations there. I know as a, uh, born in 1980, I never quite feel like I fit in with either one of those, but, uh, but we're going to go with that for, for this. Um, we're going to, in Generation Z, we don't have on there, so my kids, uh, we will, uh, we do have Generation Z on there. Okay, I like that, cool. Well done. The what's not on there? The Alpha, is that the next one? Crazy. <laughs> Uh, okay, so here's what we're going to do over the next 20 minutes. We are going to do, uh, we're going to split into groups of four. We're going to try to target one person from, um, uh, no, no other people from your age group. So in theory, you probably married somebody pretty close to your age group, right? So you'll be away from your spouse. You'll be away from, uh, and, and also, we would, we would like to separate families to a degree here. Andrew, it's probably okay if you hang with Lindsay but, or with mom, but like everybody else, let's try to, uh, Let's try to get with people that are different, different ages than us. And your, your task is, is real simple. Over the course of three to five minutes, you pick what's, which question you want to answer, and you just answer that, and you just share that. So you could share a funny story, or you could share how you came to know Jesus. And it doesn't matter. We don't, we don't care which story you, you, or which question you answer, but we want you to uh, choose one. I'm getting really close to the edge here. I've got to be careful. Okay. First task, stand up please, find somebody that is in a different age bracket, and then groups of four is what we're targeting, groups of four.
All right, we're going to wrap us up. You can stay where you are because it's going to take extra time to move, but we'll just kind of, um, yeah, we'll go from here. Here's what I want to say. We've been sitting under the epic story of Scripture, and um, what I always say, Chris and I have been talking about this over our toothpaste for a long time, about epic story. Sorry for all of you that don't get to talk to him like that. If you take this big epic story timeline, you can pull any string of these stories. I mean, do you remember that moment where he talked about Noah and suddenly you were like, what on earth? How did I never see that fit into the story? And so there's all these stories and it's like that with the epic story and it's so fun. And the thing about being in Act 5 is really where you exist and I exist um, our stories actually fit into that part of the story is what is the church about right now? And one of the things that we're about is telling story. We're telling how Jesus saved us. We're telling how he redeemed us, how he, how he told a new story over us. And so that is what I'm trying to get us to do this morning. That's the whole point of this. So I have a challenge for you this week. Um, well, first I'm going to tell you the rest of one story. And the rest of the story with my great uncle, much later in, his, in my grandfather's life, he was contacted by a veteran from the South. He was reaching out, this veteran, to tell my grandpa that he was supposed to be on the snook, but Jack had taken his place. Uncle Jack's final honor was not only in service to his country and his family, but also for this one man. Jack's life was given in exchange. That precious veteran called to let my granddad know that his whole town knew the story of our great Uncle Jack and that he had lived his life in gratitude for Jack's service. And that's our story. Someone gave their life in exchange for ours. It's the most amazing story. And so if you've been enjoying epic story, like keep telling story. And that's my point with getting you to tell story amongst each other. Um, my challenge to you is one, here's my first challenge. Colossians 1, go and look at Colossians 1. And here's what I want you to look for. I want you to look for words like glory, because it's the opposite of shame. Image, because Jesus is the firstborn. And uh I don't know. Just look, look for those words. Like, start to look at Colossians 1 in light of how we don't live in shame anymore. And then that's my first challenge. And my second challenge to you is to ask someone for a story. Just get in the habit. Get in the habit of asking story. As we retell our stories, we tell them more truthfully. We tell that other person, you're an image bear. He loves you so much. We remove doubt from people. We, we encourage them to be more truly who they are. So it's a really precious gift. It seems really silly and really like, oh, yeah, it's storytelling. But it's actually genius of the Lord, and he does it himself. So, okay. Last thing we're going to do, right? We're at the last thing we're going to do. I have two really precious people that God's been writing story over for a really long time that are about to go on a journey. So Grace and Scott, if you would come up here, we're gonna have you, I want you to, all the way up here. All right. 
And then I'll move you back down when it's time to pray. Okay. So we're going to give them about five minutes to share. Sorry. We'll do our best. Yeah, pray. Five minutes. Okay. Yeah, the Lord has been writing two epic stories that have been woven together. Um, and there's, like, so many amazing details and probably ones that we've forgotten. So we'll do our best to highlight um, the most pivotal ones, but this is a story just totally laced in amazing, amazing, like, chapters from the Lord. So um, eight years ago, eight and a half years ago, I had recently graduated from high school, and I moved to South Africa to this tiny little country called Lesotho. It's, like, totally landlocked in South Africa, and I worked at an orphanage for two years called Beautiful Gate. And while I was at Beautiful Gate, um, I worked with and connected with and bonded with and fell in love with this little boy named Tau. Um, Tau was five when I met him. And in a lot of ways, he changed my life. And um, six years ago, I left Lesotho, and I was having a farewell ceremony and I had a really strong feeling that I would not be coming back to Lesotho um, until I was adopting. And way quietly in the back of my mind it was, I'm not going to come back until I bring Tau home. Um, so in 2017, I started coming to Rand Park and sat in this third row where Julia is and just wept like every service. I don't know if any of you have had that experience when you come here, but I just cried <laughs> every service. And part of that was the beauty of this place. And part of that was because I was feeling like the Lord was stirring in me that it was time to start pursuing Tau. And I was single. I was 23. I was like, I, that's really impractical. I can't do that. So I just started praying for his family and asking the Lord to be clear with me if that was to be me. Um, and in February of 2018, I went on a hike, and the Lord said, it's time to bring your son home. And I was like, oh, my gosh. <laughs> that's amazing and terrifying, and I don't know how that's going to work. I was not making much money. Um, single, didn't know what that was going to look like, but felt like really clearly the Lord was speaking so, 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 so clear, clearer than I've ever heard him speak. This, it's time for you to go bring your little lion home. Tau means lion. And it says, he said, it's time to bring your little lion home. Um, and that same week, I started a house church startup um, led by Scott. Yes, uh, I was at that time leading a house church training, um, and that's when I met Grace. I will uh, keep my part brief. I, I was kind of invited by the Lord into the story that he had already started with Grace, which is humbling. Um, I had just kind of come through a point of about 13, 14 years of relational, just bummer situations. And uh, I had been born again again in 2016, and um, when I met Grace, I definitely was cautious about any relationship. Uh, we had a, a, a gap of age that was larger than either of us were comfortable with, especially our friends and family. 
So that was our, our starting point of walking into a relationship together, knowing when I met her the first time that she was pursuing adoption of a boy. So fast forward a little bit. <clears throat> I'm a dentist. I had a patient that was, uh, I was working on, and while I was working on them, um, after we were done, I sat them up and they said, while you were working on me, I was praying, mostly that you would do a good job, but also while I was praying, I had a picture and it was specifically for you, and I know this is very strange, and she didn't know me at all. She just knows I'm her dentist, so she was telling me these things. And she had this picture for me, and I said, well, thank you, I will, I'll pray about that. And three months later, uh, through prayer and other people praying as well, I realized that that picture for me was to go visit this boy, Tau, in Africa. Um, the picture that she had was a pair of one pair of shoes and one pair of footprints, and she knew that it meant I was supposed to go somewhere and go by myself. And so I went under the alias of a dentist to go meet this boy to this orphanage. Um, so no one knew, and he didn't know, and uh, I was just doing dentistry there. But through that, I got to know him. Um, on the plane ride there, I was just wrapped up with anxiety and just didn't know if this was good. Was I supposed to be with this woman that was 15 years younger than me? Was I supposed to be walking into this thing that he had already called you to do? Um, was it right? Was it good? And just was very anxious. The 16-hour flight from the U.S. to Johannesburg, so I had a lot of time to wrestle with that anxiety. And when I got on the plane from Johannesburg to Lesotho, which is just a tiny little puddle jumper plane, it's like a 45-minute flight, I just said out loud, because it was so noisy, like you couldn't hear anything else. So I said out loud, this is just wild. And I felt at that moment um, just a peace from the Lord in him saying, not audibly, but him saying to me, it's not wild to me. And if you saw my wild, then you would know what wild is. But this is not wild. And in that moment, everything got small and made sense and the age gap didn't matter, and this boy that was halfway across the world was right next door, and it just all became okay. And at that point, I knew that it was within his goodness, and we kind of went from there. That was kind of my yes, and he's just kind of taken it from there. But having said all that, um, I think it's important also to say that this is, like Mindy was saying, a story. It's a faith story. It's our faith story. Um, but I have had a big gap in my life where I didn't have faith. So if I was sitting here right now listening to us, I would say that's really nice for those people, but that's not something that I can really get on board with, and uh, I just don't know if I can believe that or resonate with that. Um, but faith really is one of those things where it just is a starting point and continually a surrender of your life not knowing how it's going to go, and then you get to know the heart of God. And he shows himself faithful. And it's not just for some people, it's an invitation to everybody. So I just want to put that out there. It's, it's the Lord, and it's his story. So that is ours. So on Friday, we're going to get him. <laughs> Um, through so many prayers from you guys and from our family and community and total strangers supporting us. 
um, we're just so incredibly humbled, so humbled that um, we're here and we've had so much support and we're going to need so much support. He's now, he turns 14 in July. Um, and so we're really jumping into an advanced course of parenting. And um, we're like super duper excited and scared. Um, so we covet your prayers in the journey ahead. Um, and we're just really excited. We're going to be gone the whole month of June and then adjusting back in Michigan. Um, but praise God, this is eight years of praying and dreaming coming to life.